Hello, I'm Dylan. And I'm Keon. And this is Zenith, that podcast where we weaponize failure because this week we listen to The Way Ahead. Written by Mark Wright. Directed by John Ainsworth. And released on January 2nd, 2018. The same day we released our first episode. Yep, we've come full circle. Not the Doctor Who story full circle. <laughs> Which had the blight of Adric on it, but other than that was actually a fairly interesting story. The blight of Adric. <laughs> true really hope there's going to be a big finish story <laughs> one blight day named of, the blight of magic heck make it a whole series heck just they always do that competition every year where they let fans submit a story that's like a short trip which is basically just a narrated story i should submit one one year just called the blight, <laughs> the blight of magic <laughs> it can be a story about how the fourth doctor is tra- trapped with magic in like an elevator or something <laughs> Uh, you'd have to include Adric trying to kill the, the doctor because he always did. And, you know, when they're in that close proximity, that's only going to escalate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you don't uh, remember, there's always questionable things that Adric did in the stories that he was in that, like, really seemed made it out as if he was trying to just sabotage the doctor. State of decay comes to mind immediately. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> His first story, like proper story in the TARDIS, and he's already selling out the <laughs> If I remember correctly, that's where it was placed in his timeline. It's because that was in the East Space trilogy, right? Yeah. State of the King, yeah. Yep. Anyway, this audio was interesting. Yeah. Penned is the 40th anniversary audio of Blake 7 mm-hmm. and came out on the 40th anniversary of the show. And it's sold for a price that's lower than what they would normally sell two stories like this for but anyway yeah probably because it's an anniversary celebration yeah and this is about the only celebration we got for the 40th anniversary of Blake 7 unless you count Zenith itself as a 40th anniversary celebration which it kind of was all the the fan stuff like I know I mean John started making Blake 7 before the 40th Mm -hmm. anniversary but you know this entire year of having that account Right. And now that it's going to be turned into a book as well is is in its own way a celebration. And just other fan celebrations, I know. Gosh, I forget what they're called. I think just Blake7 Online, the, the mm-hmm. forum, is doing their 40th anniversary anniversary rewatch, right. which has gained a lot of traction and stuff and, like that. And this is going to go out on, on January 1st, uh, 2019. So, yeah, so as, as close as year. we can get it and still have it be on a Tuesday. Yeah, the 40th year will be Closing over. out. Um, but the 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 content of this itself didn't feel very anniversary ish. Well, me. so the conception behind this, and I meant to listen to the behind the scenes because there's a behind this, there's an hour and ten minute long yeah, behind the scenes. I wish interview, I listened to it, which I, I wish I got to, but I I just planned. Yeah, I think out, we just both ran out of time. I planned my weekend out bat poorly and, and didn't get to it. But I did read the the Big Finish puts out a monthly magazine called Vortex, and I read the monthly magazine for the month this was released, and they had this whole long segment about. Uh, about this and it talked about the, the conception behind it it was kind of like an interview with Mark Wright he was talking about how he does a yearly rewatch of all of Blake 7 first off which I was like wow that's kind of impressive but he was like yeah I was approached to write this 40th anniversary story and it was around the time that I started my yearly rewatch of Blake 7 so I figured it was a good time I'd look for things that I could I could draw on and he drew on Avalon <laughs> well Emily. so so he explained the reason why he picked out Avalon mm-hmm. to be in these stories. And he said that with Gareth Thomas passing away in 2016, 
uh, it was going to be really difficult to actually have well, well Blake in the Blake 7 20? 40th anniversary. I thought he passed away in 2014. Might have been 2014. I don't remember the exact year, but with Gareth Thomas passing away, he was like, well, we can't really have, you know, Blake. So he... They, they could get someone else to do his, which they did at the end, but... Yeah. I but like, yeah, I, I get it. I get not having Blake as a central character because of that. And, and so he was like, well, Avalon kind of embodied a lot of the same ideals and personality traits that Blake did. But, I mean, what he wanted to really do with the story was he wanted to kind of demonstrate how Blake was just a guy and how Avalon didn't get that. And how while Avalon was similar to Blake in a lot of, like, her goals and her methods. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. How she she was missing, like, the critical component that Blake had that Blake Blake never really saw himself as any sort of martyr even though he was kind of crazy and wanted to do all these things, Blake never saw himself as a martyr, whereas Avalon was was really keyed into this iconography of the Liberator and Blake. Right, and she's Avalon is also missing one key component of Blake, which is his massive amount of luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so he kind of, he, he Mark Wright, that is, came up with this idea that he wanted to try to get as many of the this, the living cost in as possible, so he wanted to do it as kind of a two-part story, one set in Series A, one set in Series C, and that it's way he get uh, Dana and Tarrant, I agree, Dana and Tarrant in as well. Uh, Big Finish doesn't have the rights to Series D, so they couldn't get Sue Lin, but they, they, they were able... They did get Glynis Barber. They did get Glynis yeah. Barber, because Mark Wright was like, well, I want to get Glynis Barber in somehow, and he, he basically drew on this framing narrative from Paul Darrow's novel, Lucifer, which is where the character Magna comes from, if you didn't know, I didn't know until I was reading this. Heck yeah. So Paul Darrow's novel, Lucifer... Uh, introduces this character Magda, who Glennis Barber plays Magda in these stories, and the framing narrative is is Paul Darrow telling Magda these stories about what actually happened uh, compared to this book that she has, Heroes of the Revolution, I think it's called. Right, that's really interesting. I mean, I think Mark Wright did a a good job on drawing of like uh, drawing on the sort of components of. What Blake? What makes? What made Blake Seven a great show? Mm-hmm. And maybe not the most obvious of ways. And we'll get right. to how he did that. Um, but even uh, what? Well, I'll get into my. Well, sort of I think going along with the series A and C thing is that having Avalon in both. I think what he was trying to do was to demonstrate how Avalon was different from both Blake and Avon, and how Avon yeah. was different from Blake, and how Blake was different from Avon, and how while Blake and Avon were different, their leadership styles are effective. But Avalon. Because Avalon is so... Because there are similarities between Avalon and Blake and similarities between Avalon and Avon that I want to talk about later. But essentially those similarities are a detriment to Avalon, whereas there are benefits to Blake and Avon. We're going to talk about that in a bit. So basically, yeah, they got a whole bunch of people back. I also read in the Vortex thing he was talking about, he was trying to figure out a way to get... he, He tried really hard to figure out a way to get Brian Croucher into this as well. Because he wanted as many living yeah. major actors in it, and he said he just there just wasn't a way to get both incarnations of Travis into the story, yeah, without it not really working. So, you know, Travis dies at the end of series uh, B. B. And well, there's also, there's also the thing of like you could have got either Brian Croucher or Stephen Greif. We've actually yeah. been saying it wrong for the past year. <clears throat> On in a in a role other than Travis, but yeah. like that would have also been like, well, 
Yeah. It would have been, like, uh, problematic to do so. And so he just kind of said, you know, sorry. As much as I hate that word. Brian. But, you know, I tried really hard to find a way to get both incarnations of Travis in, but I just couldn't really figure it out. And they picked the superior Travis. <laughs> they picked the only Travis that really worked if, gonna, <laughs> if they yeah. wanted Dana and Tarrant to show up as well. Yeah. So. So yeah, I mean they they could have they could have pulled because that's what Series B did. I mean Series B was just like oh, this is this is still Travis. Yeah, totally. It's it's the same character, just a different actor. They could have totally like went that way and had Brian Croucher be Series A Travis. Well, considering it's like the 40th anniversary yeah. celebration, and huge fans are going to be listening to this, well as as they would any yeah Blake Seven audio. But yeah, no, I mean I get it, and I I mm-hmm. I'm just nitpicking slash playing devil's advocate since I think they did the right thing right and there are a couple of other really interesting tidbits uh, in this interview with mark wright they have pictures from the recording days and apparently they had i don't know he mentioned who owns the original orac prop now but he brought it in one of the days they were recording so they had they actually had orac nice. there the day they were recording yeah which i thought was really cool and uh, there was one other thing I wanted to mention, and it just flew my mind right now. Oh, when he was doing his rewatch, uh, the reason why he hit on on Aquatar and Project Aquatar was because it was mentioned kind of briefly in one of those early Series A episodes, and it was mentioned as a project that Blake and Avon didn't know each other on, but that they both worked on at some point. Yeah, that was in um, Spacefall. Right. And he thought that was an interesting jumping-off point for the story. Since Blake and Avon were both involved... But they didn't know each other at that time. Right. So that's and the ha- fact that yeah. it was the Federation was experimenting with teleportation before they even knew about the Liberator. Right. So that's the sort of making of, I guess, again, I wish I listened to that hour-long yeah, audio too. of it. but The behind-the-scenes. Yeah. I heard a bit of, I read a bit of a summary of the behind-the-scenes, and, and it was basically described as them telling a lot of stories about back in the day when they were recording... Oh man, now I, wish I really, now I really wish I listened to it. <gasps> we used to listen to it before next week for our final episode, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Anyway, so it's the two parts are named, the first part's named Project Aquatar. The second part is named... Descent. Descent. Classic Blake 7 title, that. <laughs> yeah, uh, Mark word. Wright uses Unreal. the word crusade a lot in the second part. He, he also and... uses the word, he also uses like psychologist slash psychoanalyst slash psychoanalysis yeah. like a dozen times throughout these parts yeah but the word parts. crusade it's like finally i figured out the name of what's going to be the, f- the first episode of my hypothetical series e for crusade. next week i've been f- trying to figure find a word to use as a title crusade that's the perfect <laughs> word <clears throat> just a little preview for next week all right so project aquatar it starts with Avon being alive after Blake. <laughs> yeah, that's the biggest... That was the, the, the first moment where I went, wait a minute. Apparently he's been sentenced to... Impri- Isolation? Well, I think it's just a prison planet a la Cygnus Alpha. But they formed a sort of community because they're... And I'm guessing this is from the book, Lucifer, a lot of yeah. these concepts. But there's a town, there's a settlement, because mm-hmm. um, Magda mentions later, like, let's go back to town or whatever. Right. So it's not Cygnus Alpha-like to the extent that there is like a cult or anything led by a Brian Blessed, but... Damn. <laughs> there Should have seem- Brian Blessed in this, actually. Yeah. That would have been hilarious. Would have. There is some sort of society there. 
But Avon is just kind of out doing his own thing, I guess. And Magda, who is the daughter of Cassandra, who worked with Avalon. Right. Now, I don't think Cassandra was a character on the show. No, I don't believe so. And in the first part, he constantly refers to her mother. And at first I thought, is her mother going to be like Sulin or... You know, Su Lin, and they're just not able to say her name because of rights. But then in the second episode, they reveal her mom's Cassandra. They didn't reveal that in the first one. I don't even remember. I didn't I, think I, they did. I don't remember. I listened to these while I was walking the dogs, so I may have missed key moments because of a car <laughs> driving by in inopportune time. In the second part, there's like. In the second part, I couldn't discern if it was the bird song in the episode or if it was bird song that I was like walking past, and oh, that was a little I confusing. Don't know. But anyway, yeah, so it begins with Avon basically talking to Magda, and he's like, hey, we got, you know, you've got this book, and it's not entirely true. Let me tell you what actually happened. Let well, me tell you about Avalon. Well, here, here's the thing here. They touch on um, they touch on what Blake 7 has always been about, which is sources of information right. and epistemological validity. Mm-hmm. Where Magda's like, all right, uh, uh, Magda actually comes to Avon and says, like, you know, I have this book, and I know that that just from reading this, that it stretches the truth, and and uh, I need, I want you to tell me what really happened. And Avon's like, well, what the hell even is truth? You know, I'm just going to tell you a story, and you take whatever you want out of it. Basically, <laughs> Avon sounds like his old crotchety self. Seems to yeah. have gotten even more cynical in his old age. In his in his imprisonment. Um, so bef- before we get into it, uh, we should mention which actors came back and which didn't. We can mention who didn't because it's a lot a shorter list. Josette Simon didn't yeah, reprise her role Josette. as Dana because she doesn't want to reprise mm-hmm. her role as Dana anymore. Yasmin Badaman plays uh, Dana in this. Right. And um, I want to talk about her when we get to the descent, of course. Yeah. Uh, all the other main characters, I think, were reprised by their original actors. Save for Zen Ex- and, except for Zen and Zen Orak, who were played by Alistair Locke. Uh, I think Peter Tunningham. I Is don't he? know if he's dead or not. Well, I'm about <laughs> to Google it. This is a bit embarrassing that I don't know if he's... Yeah, according yeah. to two seconds on Google, he died on July 9th, 2007. Yeah, so Peter Tunningham has passed away. So he his role was played by Alistair Locke. But everyone else is back and yeah, sounding older than ever. Except for Villa. Villa yeah. Michael, Michael Keaton <laughs> somehow has aged. Not, not just Not just great physically, but amazingly vocally as well. Because... By some miracle, he sounds exactly as he did 40 years ago. Heck yeah. And we actually mentioned this a couple weeks ago. I don't remember under what context, but we were like, Michael Keating is exactly the same. It was under the context of him and Paul Darrow being on Celebrity Pointless. Right, right. And him being really, looking really good. Yeah. I mean, essentially the only thing different about him is that his hair has gone gray. That's it. Other than that, he's still the same villa. Even so including the same Michael Keating. I don't want to call an actor the character that they played, including vocally, including, including vocally. Avon sound. <laughs> Avon sounds pretty good. They all. I mean, you can you can tell which characters are which. They all sound the same I as had they did. Difficulty with Jenna. Yeah, I, Jenna I had was, difficulty with Jenna as well. Jenna was the one who, to me, sounds the most different yeah, from how I, she did on the show. I agree with that. Um, and that that's. Completely forgetting her name now. The actress's uh, name. Sally Nevette. Sally Nevette. Uh, 
Callie sounds a lot. Callie sounds similar enough. And Stephen Greif actually also sounds a lot like Travis still. Yeah. I put him second off to Michael Keating. Yeah, they. I think they all, again, except for Jenna, uh, you know, you can tell who they are. Servland sounds older, but she still sounds like Servland yeah. Jacqueline. Yeah, Pierce. no, they all just sound like older versions of themselves. Which they are. <laughs> which they are, which is weird in the context of the story when they're supposed to be their younger selves. Yeah. But. Yeah, I got I got it like during the framing narrative. I was like, oh yeah, Paul Darrow is putting on this old accent, and then, and then it, got, just, it cuts <laughs> back, and it's it's actually just Paul Darrow. Yeah. <laughs> yep. But hey, it's suspension of disbelief. We got more stories, in yeah. The Nets and plus, like. I'm glad that they're all back. The, yeah, me the too. The principal, the original cat, even like even people like Sally Nevet, who didn't necessarily want to stick with the show, mm-hmm. are back. And I mean, speaking and, of voices, like Yasmin Bannerman actually sounds like. Yeah. Young Gisette Simon, yeah. like I could totally yeah, pick did. her out. It's like that's Dana, like yeah, yeah, she did a great job. So the story is set before Project Avalon. I'm pretty sure the naming Project Aquatar is an intentional reference or homage to Project Avalon. Yeah, yeah, was it? It was before? set before because at the at the end of the story, Avon says, and then Avalon would go on to have a robot duplicate made of her, and later on, he says something like, they, "The robot duplicate came after this." Didn't they say we would never see her again, or something like that? That's maybe, that's in the second one. He's like, "I never saw huh. Avalon again after Descent." Okay. But after Project Aquatar, he says, "Like we, the next time, it would and be a robot, a robot of her." But you don't want to hear about any of that, Magda. <laughs> yeah. That's not interesting. <laughs> So in the first story, Travis has basically unleashed his new weapon. Travis is awesome in this. This is like, if you, if you think back of, to, to when this took place, this was like when Travis got real lame at the end of Series A and started getting desperate and, and awful. Project Avalon was Series B, right? No, it was A. It was late Series A? It was late Series A. It was Episode 9, I think. I don't know how I remember that. In I context of the is, universe, I can kind of see... Travis coming up with the idea to make a duplicate of Avalon because of this story, but... And why is that the case? Oh, but just because, like, Avalon being a really key figure in this revolution, oh. yeah. And yeah, realizing okay. that sh- Blake sees potential in teaming up with Avalon. All right. Now that yeah. I think about it, Avon's line about robot duplicate might actually imply that this takes place after Project Avalon, but I don't see how that would be the case. Anyway... I'm pretty confident it was before. Anyway, yeah, Travis has got his new weapon. He's unleashing it on Avalon's group of rebels on this planet. So they send sort of a distress call to the Liberator, and they decide to go help. And and this is something we never... There are a couple things about this that are incongruous with the TV show, not in the sense that they're continuity things, but like things we never saw on the TV show. One, this takes place in a city, like a big city. There's a line where, well, I mean, in terms of like the sound design, you can hear their their footsteps and it's all like concrete and stuff like that and there's Mm -hmm. a sign that's like or sorry there's a line that where they go like let's cross the street into that other zone or whatever and i'm like okay this is taking place like in a a big city the likes of which we've never seen on lake seven for obvious reasons (laughs) but since it's an audio they can do that right which is cool and um what else was i going to mention huh something else but come back to you whatever uh, they've got a suitably Terry Nation named weapon, the Matter Scoop. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. I was going to mention how this is a huge battlefield, right. which, again, was not feasible on the show 
itself. It kind of reminded me of Genesis of the Daleks. That's what I was imagining it as. That you, were bombed you, out Scarlet. Right, were, were you imagining this as like with 1970s production values? Because I wasn't, just based on the sound design I of it. kind I of was, because the sound design, yeah, sounds like higher budget, but at the same time also is really good at emulating the sound of... 40s Blake's 40 year ago Blake's seven well I I forget who did the music for this they mention his name in the credits but whoever did was really good at capturing that Dudley Sibs Dudley Simpson Dudley Simpson vibe yes he was he had those Dudley Simpson cues yeah or she I don't know I don't remember who it was he was a he yeah no I agree but Basically, Avon beams down with the surviving principal cost for except, like Callie and Blake, Jenna. And who else but Gan? Gan even Gan, Gan's in this story. Even in the 40th anniversary audio, Gan doesn't get his due. Except for that one line where uh, Avon was like, yep, didn't hate him. <laughs> well, there's a line about how Gan would snap your neck. And I was like, but he had that limiter, right? Yeah. Well... Um, Spacefall prod- podcast actually brought this up is is the thing of like and this actually puts a lot of this into perspective is like David Jackson played Gan in a totally different way this is their sort of argument and I kind of agree with it looking back or mostly agree with it actually is that David Jackson played Gan as like a gentle giant type character mm-hmm. when when Chris Boucher and Terry Nation and just the entire like impetus of Gan's character and how he was written was not that. Yeah, well, David Jackson didn't want to be the murderous <laughs> yeah, giant. He didn't. And uh, he still delivered the line, man, killing them feels good or whatever. <laughs> I think I'm beginning to enjoy I'm this. I'm beginning to enjoy this, right. So, David Jackson, the man. Yeah, but Blake and Gan stay back on the Liberator. I wonder why. <laughs> Well, Gan is just studying astro uh, whatever, yeah. location or whatever it was. And Blake is uh, just taking a nap or something. <laughs> Would have been real funny if they got the... I forget who plays Blake at the end. But like at the end of part one, he should've, they should have just gone back to the Liberator and had like Blake let out a massive yawn and be like, so what did I miss or something like that? So but yeah, they, they go down to the planet and they're in right. this battlefield. And Travis uses the matter scoop against the rebels. Yeah, well, he calls well, rebel scum in this. Yeah, he calls him rebel scum when I <laughs> noticed that too. Well, he uses it before they beam down and they find all this like goop and they're like, well, this is weird. And they take it back up to the liberated analyze and then, and then Zen is like, hey, this is like humans, human remains, but also raw Aquitar. I think that's what it's called. Yeah, Aquitar. Or Aquitaine. I think it was Aquitar. Pretty sure it's Aquitar. I don't remember now. I mean, the episode is Project well, the name, Aquitar. The name of the project was Project Aquitar, yeah. but I don't remember if the substance was yeah, Aquitar or Aquitaine. I'm pretty sure it's Aquitar. So a- Avon's like, well, that's kind of weird. They meet up with Avalon, and they, they talk with her for a while, and they're like, look, uh, we think Travis is using the Federation's failed teleport system as a weapon. Because the thing was, whenever they tried to teleport biological matter, it got turned into goo, to goo basically. And Aquatar, Aquatane, I'm just going to call it Aquatar, was this stabilizing substance that they that helped stabilize the matter beam, but not enough to prevent. Well, so they couldn't even get it to work without the Aquatar. The Aquatar stabilized the beam enough to actually teleport stuff, but didn't stabilize it enough to prevent it from turning into goo yeah. on the other end. 
So they abandoned the project like Blake and Avon discussed in Spacefall, but now Travis has turned that into a weapon. And this Which is, is pretty clever, actually. Yeah, this is really cool because I know we talked about this in series A and B, is the like the idea that Blake and his crew have all these exploits that we see off that we don't see on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's they always talk about the rumors about how Blake is now this massive figure of rebellion and stuff like that. And we're like, well, on screen, did we really see him get involved in in anything other than being a thorn in the Federation side? A minor thorn, yeah. to call back to, to that phrase. And this is, this is a story inserted between Series A stories that kind of does that. Yeah. And has ties to Avon and Blake's past. Avalon basically blames Avon for, and Blake for all of this because they worked on the project. And a- Avon's like, look, I wrote like 10 lines of code. Blake basically just approved the funding. Like, this isn't on us. We didn't build this thing. <laughs> Which is, I mean, this this is the most like, I don't know, not philosophical, but the most, yeah, whatever. Let's just say philosophical this story gets right because i mean the mm-hmm. first thing you think about when you think of this is like nazis right like yeah um and ev- the evasion of responsibility and also how like in nazi germany the the government the, the nazi government would regime would purposely keep they would purposely like assemb- turn their systems into like an assembly line with unskilled like Using the model of an assembly line with mm-hmm. unskilled labor, like people just putting a single part repeatedly, like on a piece of machinery or whatever, yeah. they turned their processes into that, right? Where the individual people working didn't know what they were, didn't necessarily know what they were doing, weren't told right. exactly what, I mean, you can kind of get an eye. Like once you're doing, once you do it enough, you kind of know, but like they wanted, to, they wanted it to be so that if any single person was interrogated, they couldn't 100, couldn't say with 100% confidence what exactly they were doing, you know? Right. I mean, and also Avon's <laughs> contributions to this project massively called into question in the resolution of the episode when he successfully <laughs> jerry-rigs the Project Aquatar into a successful teleportation system. Yeah, and plus, I mean, the the comparison isn't direct because they weren't even planning on using this thing as a weapon. Until <laughs> Travis showed up. <laughs> Servant's like, good job, Travis. We're moving ahead with the project. Yeah, Servant's in part one, but... Her role is expanded in part two. Right. So basically they they go on the Liberator to the planet where Project Aquatar is taking place because they're yeah, like, I forget what we the gotta, planet's called. We're going to destroy... Lorgan or something like that? Lorgan 4, I, I think, think. I wonder if that was, and they might have discussed this in the behind the scenes, but I wonder if that was a callback to Logan's run, which came out on the same day as Blake 7 or like the same week or something. I don't know, actually. I don't know either. They go back to the same planet in the second one. Second part, sorry. Yeah. But they go to this planet. They're like, we've got to destroy all of Project Aquatar, essentially, uh, to prevent the Federation from using this because it's basically super OP. They can just point it at whatever they want and kill them, kind of like Imipak. Kind of like um, the uh, what yeah. thing that Agrorian made. <laughs> I forget what it was called. Oh, the, the, the Tachyon. Yeah, the Tachyon beam. beam. Yep. Kind of wonder why Igorian didn't just build this teleport. You know, was was Igorian involved in Project Aquator? I don't know. Don't know. So they land on this planet, and I I don't remember exactly how this happens, but Jenna gets separated. No, sorry, they split up into two groups. 
because uh, that's always worked out so well <laughs> on Doctor Who. And Blake 7. It never worked out for them on Blake 7. <laughs> they split We're up always into always at the end through like sheer luck, but... Jenna... Jenna and Avon. Jenna and... No, yeah, Jenna and Avon, Villa and Callie. Yeah, but they split into two groups from there. Uh, and Villa, Callie and Avalon. Yeah, Villa, and Callie, Jen, Avalon Jenna and, Jenna and Avon. And but then Jenna, Jenna and, Avon. and Avon need to go place the charges. So they split up by they themselves. They split up further, yeah. Because the thing was... Avalon, Callie, and Villa are supposed to go find the prototype, find the kind of the headquarters, yeah. and place the bombs there. They find the prototype, and then they get cornered in the room by Federation soldiers. And Villa I mean, has- this, is, this is another philosophical moment here, because Avalon's like, well, we should use the matter scoop to just kill them outside. Yeah. And, and Callie's like, no, if you do that, you'll be no better than them. Yeah, and then what, 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 what's even more interesting is that Callie then threatens Avalon that, mm-hmm. you know, with a gun. She's like, if you use... If you try and use the the matter scoop, I'm going to shoot you. Yeah, and she says like, "Oh, every time you use it, it gets easier, and by the end, you won't even know basically who you are anymore. You know, you won't be able to tell the difference between yourself and the people you're fighting." And Avalon brings this up again later when they're shooting everyone, and Avalon says, "What's the difference between this and using the matter scoop? We're killing them anyway. If we'd used the matter scoop, it would have been quicker, and we wouldn't be in danger ourselves." And Callie's like, "This is personal. You have to look at them when you do it." Yeah. <clears throat> If you're going to go that far, Callie, why not just use a knife instead of a gun? Because they don't have any knives. <laughs> yeah, when was Looks the last like... time you saw a knife in the Blake 7 universe? <laughs> really sure think they're... about this. I don't remember. Um, yeah, that's a good question. Maybe they don't have knives. Yes, maybe there's no knives oh, in this universe. Sh- oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe in Seek, Locate, Destroy when they're eating that extravagant meal all right (laughs) dinner knives don't really count but okay so jenna gets separated from avon because there's like a cave-in and she's trapped with travis yeah they they split up on purpose to go place the charges but yeah then there's a cave-in because travis like stupidly i forget how he shoots at jenna and misses and it hits the wall and then it caves him in and it lands on travis and he's like damn just (laughs) kill me she's like no I'm not going to kill you because I'm better than you, Travis. She says it wouldn't be fair, which I don't know. I question whether Jenna actually it's cares like, about it's fairness. It's like Tarrant but... when he didn't kill Serpilan in Sand. <laughs> you just have to buy into it for the sake of the story. But you no, have but... to know that when she gets back to the ship, everyone's going to be giving her shit for it. No, no, but like with Tarrant and Serpilan in Sand, that was Tarrant just being a total tool. Tool. Whereas Jenna was never, well, I don't know. Jenna might have been someone. Well, Avon then tele when Avon teleports them out, he gets ta- uh, he gets Travis too, and Villa's like, "You brought Travis too," and he's like, "I didn't have time to differentiate." <laughs> we also find out that Servalan in part two had been saving teleport bracelet for years, <laughs> literally years. Well, we but did what? always wonder, like, when well. they beamed her down, like what she would do with that bracelet. <laughs> So, yeah, there's actually a line in the framing narrative where Avon is like, he, I forget what he says, like, and this would have all worked out for me if Blake didn't have his, his supporters, Callie and Jenna along with him. <laughs> <laughs> well, so there's this whole scene between Travis and Jenna where Travis is like, well, why do you follow Blake? 
because they're just dying. And I guess it's a moment to have this kind of discussion. Yeah, and he, he implies that Blake has sort of brainwashed them into following him. Yeah, and Jenna says, no, I follow him because I want to. And she's, he's like, well, do you really? And she's like, yeah, I could leave whenever I wanted, but I, I believe in Blake and I believe in what he's doing, so I follow him. Shaft is like, all right. But what is he doing, Jenna? What? Yeah, what, what is, is he, he doing, doing, Jenna? <laughs> and but yeah, yeah, so Avon use the... Well, so she tries to contact the Liberator and it's not getting through because I wonder why. Because they're in a cave and it's, you know, disturbance and whatever. So Avon eventually and, finds him. He's like, I can try to use this machinery to move the rocks, but I don't think it's going to give us enough time. They're also dying because they're running out of oxygen and they've been exposed to raw aquatire, which kills you in like two hours or whatever. Yeah. Because that's the thing. They go to this planet because conveniently, as it seems to happen, whenever there's like a super overpowered weapon in Blake 7 it's <laughs> the materials for it come from only one planet <laughs> in the entire universe or galaxy so this is the only place in the universe to find Aquatar yep but yeah Avon kind of hacks he meets up with Villa and Callie and, and Avalon again and he's like I'm glad you didn't destroy this prototype because I'm going to need it to get Jenna out uh, and he basically hacks it into being a functional teleport and feels like, is this going to work? And he's like, I have no idea. <laughs> but if I don't do it, though, as good as dead anyway. So worth a shot, I guess, is his thinking. Yeah. Kind of like Villa in Warlord. <laughs> <laughs> and it works. Surprise, surprise, it works. Yeah, and, and there's a bit more discussion, but that's basically that. That's yeah. Kind of it. Now, were you disappointed by this part one? Because I was to some extent. I was disappointed extent. by the resolution. It felt a bit like a cop-out, just hacking it into a working teleport, and they teleport out, and, and then they blow up the base and leave. I guess it's in that typical Blake 7 nature, though, where they I'm resolve the plot. just wrapping it up in like the last minute. Yeah, they resolve it in the final five minutes, so I'll give them credit for that. <laughs> yeah, I did. I liked all the callbacks. I... I other like i see how this superficially is a 40th anniversary celebration of blake seven because all the components are there right especially with how they divided it into two parts and got the series a cast as well as tarrant and dana and unfortunately not sulin but since they couldn't but at least tarrant and dana stupid rights (laughs) but at the same time like other than that like it's this just felt like such a mediocre Story and I, I mean, like because once the novelty of Blake Seven on audio, and like hearing the old actors and stuff like that wore off, I was just like, "What like even is this story?" Well, the problem is, you know, what could you do for a 40th anniversary story except something like this that's really steeped in the lore? Mark Wright says in the in the the Vortex kind of interview, he says, "You know, it's not like Doctor Who. Doctor Who, you bring back different Doctors, you bring back other characters, right?" It's not, but but Blake Seven, it's not like you can do the five Avons, right? You can't do that within the confines of the universe. Well, I mean, for I don't know, I don't, I don't know how I would go about this, and I see how and why this was played safe. But like a lot of the fantasy Blake Sevens we've been getting have been like a proposed series E with an mm-hmm. entirely different cast, and and they the the details what happens afterwards. That's that either does or doesn't touch back heavily on and most of the times does i think touch back heavily on you know blake and avon and 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 the liberator crew Mm -hmm. and all their journeys and stuff like that 
and the aftermath of all of that. Right. And I know that's not necessarily like the safest way to play it and probably not the best thing to do. But like, I don't know, maybe that would have worked out for the best. Although I'm sure if that if I'm sure if that's what they had done, we would have been like, What what the heck is this? Like why are they doing that? Yeah, I would have think that would be an interesting story, but not as like a fortieth anniversary celebration. I feel like the anniversary celebrations are always supposed to be kind of fan servicey. You know, on Doctor Who, it was always like the five doctors and three doctors, like in isolation. Not super great stories, but they're super fan servicey, and you know, they're fun because of that. If they'd done something with a different cast or the aftermath, or the aftermath, as is pronounced in Britain, as Avalon says, of the series, they would have had to set it after series D. And you know, then the question is, well, how much of that do they have the rights? Yeah, that's true. To you know, well, how much of that can they actually do? All the characters on screen are dead unless they come up with some way to make them survive, like Paul yeah, Darrow exactly, does which is, Avon. Which is why a lot of the stories we've been getting have been, like, no one's back or stuff like that, you know? I mean, or, you know, and that was something that when when I was thinking of my Series E, I wanted it to have the same cost. And I think, you know, I, I kind of gave away how I'm going to do it last week. But I think in the confines of, the like, the story I've come up with, I think it works but like it's difficult with the ending on the show to do something afterwards and again for a 40th anniversary celebration you really want to just go back to the characters you know right like yeah yeah no i mean I, like i said i can see why this was done this way and i still think there's like a lot of themes from Blake 7 in this and i yeah, especially are. when we finish explaining descent want to talk about what the story seems to be really saying about Avalon, Blake, and Avon as leaders. Anyway, part two begins. Oh, one thing we should mention is that Jenna actually gets like a, a fight sequence. Oh, yeah. Which was never the case in the actual show. She's finally getting her, her due. Also, Travis calls her Stannis the whole story, which I don't remember if that's... Yeah, Jenna Stannis. No, I know that. I just wasn't sure if Travis called Jenna Stannis <laughs> on the show. <laughs> probably, I don't think he even said her name once on the show. So he probably did at some point in his. He says Co Avon and Jenna Stannis, which reminded me that oh yeah, Avon is his last name. I forgot about that. Yeah. So part two, I actually think is like a more interesting setup for the for a Blake Seven story because it's it's somewhat <laughs> removed from a typical Blake Seven story, but at the same time you can like see can see <laughs> the inspiration that's there. And Mike Wright said. Without he was trying not to give it away, but in his little interview, he was like, you know, I wanted to do something really controversial for the second part, and I wasn't sure that like the BBC and, and Big Finish were going to let me get away with it. But to my surprise, they both said yes. What was which controversial? Which is probably about- Avalon stealing the Liberator. No, it's not that controversial. I don't. I mean, I could see it being controversial. For the first fifteen minutes of this. Of part two, I was totally on board. I was like, this is so much better than part one that it's not even funny. This is amazing. I can't wait to see where this is going. Sorry, I can't wait to hear where this is going. Well, so it starts with, yeah, the framing narrative again, Magna. Magna actually brings the book to Avon this time and is like, hey, here's the book. I ta- wanted ta- to return it to you. Yeah, just tosses it at his feet if the audio is any indication. Well, he just tosses it in the fire when she leaves <laughs> if the audio is any indication as well. And he basically says, so what'd you think? She's like, it's just stories. Like, it's just stories. I want to know what happened. You know, I want to know what you saw. And he's like, all right. Uh, I mean, again, he says, like, I'm just telling you you my story. And he's like, well, we ran into Avalon again. 
Uh, and that's when I met your mom for the first time, by the way. <laughs> Cassandra isn't even that major of a player. No, she's not. She's just how Magda is related to Avalon. But I guess that's, I guess this is all related back to Lucifer, the book. I mean, Cassandra's role in the story is is serviceable and understandable. And when Avon kind of has that sort of big reveal at the at the end of the story, like what Cassandra did to sell them out, it's kind of like, oh, shoot. But Yeah, but at the same time, it was too, not too little too late. But it was, to me, yeah. that wasn't that big of a reveal. I was just like, oh, okay. <laughs> so the plot of part two is basically that Avalon has called them again. Yeah, back to Lorgan or whatever the planet yeah, is called. Yeah, back to Lorgan 4. Black. Back to Lorgan 4. And Avon's like, well, we're going, but we're going to be pretty tentative about it. And they, they all beam down. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I want to talk about for a brief second Peter Tuttenham's Zen, which doesn't sound like Zen at all. Uh, but Peter Tuttenham's, what? sorry, Alistair Locke's Zen doesn't sound like Peter Tuttenham's Zen uh, at all to me. I thought he did. I thought both Zen and Orac but sounded Orac pretty But his sounds a lot like Orac. I thought they were so. both pretty good. Zen is... <laughs> you can tell it's Zen, but it's like Zen from the universe seven steps to the right. <laughs> his Orac sounds good, though. That's just what I wanted to say there. So they all beam down, and... Old Man Tarrant sounds pretty cool, not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Stephen Pacey is, again, he, he more than maybe anyone except Sally Nevette, has aged in terms of his voice. Yeah, but he actually sounds pretty cool. <laughs> like, I actually kind of like Old Man Tarrant's voice. <laughs> so... But would you want a Series E that's all about Old Man Tarrant? They could do it like the movie Logan, where he's like old and trying to run away from that life that's still chasing him and I don't know they could be a young clone of Tarrant and he raises the clone so they go down and Avalon's like look you're not using the Liberator to its full potential they mentioned the intergalactic war from between series right B and C the war with the aliens the aliens yeah that we never get to see touching on that wasted potential of that Series B cliffhanger with all the alien ships. <laughs> and and then they, uh, they're they about to put them on trial. And I was like, oh, heck yeah, here it comes. The trial of Kerr Avon and his, his Liberator buddies. But then this story takes Too a completely different optimistic. turn. Too optimistic. <laughs> this story actually made me like Tarrant more somehow. I'm going to give this story credit for making me feel better about Tarrant. I'll give Blake credit for that. Blake the episode, not the character. Blake the character made me see Tarrant as a total tool again. (laughs) And basically Avalon then is like, you haven't been using the Liberator to its full potential. Look, the Federation is scrambled and you could just wipe them out right now with the massive warship you have. And this is when Avon's like, look. You can't use the Liberator as a symbol like that. The Liberator didn't try to become a symbol. It just did. And that's kind of the the thing that episode two, I guess, hits on, is that Avalon wants to use the Liberator to be a symbol, whereas Blake, like, that was never Blake's goal. And the reason why Blake was successful where Avalon was not was that that just happened to Blake. Yeah. And And Avon actually even says, like, in his own point of view, the Liberator is just, uh, I think he uses the word tool. 
Yeah. Yeah. And also, this is where it's like we get the similarities between Avalon and Avon in that they both recognize the Liberator as a symbol. They both recognize that Blake is a martyr for this cause. But Avon, unlike Avalon, recognizes that to play into that would be their downfall, whereas Avalon wants to basically use that to try to cut the Federation down. Well, that's interesting because that's the entire, like at the beginning of Series A, that's the setup for all of this is that the Federation brainwashed Blake so that he wouldn't become a martyr. Right. Because they knew that killing him would only fan the flames more. Mm-hmm. So it's real interesting. I mean, this whole two-part story, I think, is really clever about using Blake and the Liberator as symbols and and ideas. Yeah, and, and if you even think throughout. about it, right, that, and that even, that that not only goes for the content of this story, but like Blake 7 itself, right? Like mm-hmm. you, you, we get this 40th anniversary thing. Blake is Blake is not in it. And I mean, that's for obvious reasons because Gareth Thomas has already passed away at this point. But like those, like Blake, the Liberator, which is in this, and Blake, who isn't in this, mm-hmm. are still like massive symbols and massive driving forces for these stories. Right. And I think the story, both of them are, you know, it was really clever about using Blake in that way and using Avalon to demonstrate how Blake and Avon were successful, although Avon reluctantly so, whereas Avalon was not. Right. But yeah, Avalon steals the Liberator and she basically offer, offers the crew a choice. Uh, join her or stay to die on <laughs> Logan 4. Yep. The original crew, meaning Avon, Villa, and Callie stay behind. Uh, Villa says, I'm sticking with Avon and Callie basically says, look, this isn't the way. Like bloodshed, like this isn't the way. Uh, Dana, they bring back Dana's blood feud with Servaland. She's like, anything that'll hurt Servaland, it'll get me closer to killing her, I'm in for. And Terrence... Terrence is like, I want to live. <laughs> or something yeah, like Terrence's pretty reluctant about it, but Avon's like, look, Terrence, just go. Like, you have no allegiance to me. Yeah, now unlike Project Aquitar... <laughs> um, I want to say Project Avalon. Yeah, this one, could. I think it could be anywhere in Series C that's after... The first um, episode, or second episode. What's after, what's before Volcano? Whatever that episode is, it could be after uh, it that. It goes. It's it's uh, uh, aftermath. Aftermath. Something volcano. Aftermath, and then ah shoot, how do I know? A uh, power play. Power, yeah. After, it could be anything that's after power play and before the finale, I guess. Yeah. Although I think I uh, I would uh, believe it was set earlier in the season rather than later, specifically because Avon's like, look, Tant, you have no allegiance yeah. to me. Yeah. And pretty much Avalon, there's like a couple week time skip here that you don't pick up yeah. on at first. Yeah, they then, do it kind of poorly, kind of like how they always did it like on the show. <laughs> <laughs> you have to wonder if that was intentionally poor like that or if it just came out that way. But they skip a couple weeks and Tam's like, look, we've been attacking places for a couple weeks now. They like play up the town's a good pilot. And I'm like, well, you remember that time? And he was yeah. just like, we'll stay in orbit for more points. That's one less thing. Points. Yeah, that's one thing that they touch on in this. Like they, they make it out that Tarrant is this amazing pilot. And I was it's like, that's one, that's one interpretation of the classic Blake 7 show. <laughs> that's one interpretation, not one that I, you know, buy, have, into. buy into, right? Yeah, he's better than Zen, apparently. <laughs> Which he was in that one episode of Series C. And that's the thing is that Series C Tarrant kind of was a better pilot than Series D Tarrant. Kind of wonder what happened between Series C and D there. Maybe they decided to take his character in a different direction. Maybe in-universe Zen taught him how to pilot the Liberator and then he saw the Scorpion and was like, shit. (laughs) 
And everyone's like, well, Tam, you're the pilot. He's like, I don't, I don't, know, I don't know what to do here. But they well, decide. Maybe they finally, maybe Chris Belcher was like, now that that meddling Terry Nation is out of the picture, <laughs> I can finally create the Blake 7 of my dreams. <laughs> Blake 7 of his dreams was to have Tarrant be a really bad pilot to introduce a gold. duplicate of Dana. <laughs> gold was the Blake 7 of his dreams. Gold wasn't bad. I really enjoyed no, gold. No, yeah, I really enjoyed gold too, but you have to admit that their their plan in gold was a lot more sinister than any other plan they've ever had. And failed a lot harder. <laughs> Flopped a lot harder. <laughs> yeah. So next, they decide, Avalon's like, we're going to attack Federation HQ. And I don't know who says this. I think it was Tarrant. Even though Tarrant wasn't really around for this, but he's like, look, Blake tried to do that. And he almost freaking died. Yeah, Blake, uh, sorry, Tarrant does say that. And he says that he, he's read up on the records or whatever. Yeah. And he's like, Blake almost freaking died. <laughs> and and then, well, Tarrant. crew of three. Tarrant, two, no, four. Because Cassandra. Oh, yeah. Well, plus Zen and Orac, so I guess six. Ah, Avalon six. <laughs> Tarrant, to really drive the point home, pulls up Orac. He's like, Orac, what, what are the chances we survive this? Orac's like, about 22%. And Avalon's like, never tell me the odds. She doesn't say that. <laughs> she says she trusts human instinct more than computers. Yeah. Which is, again, and, and I, now that I think about it, that's kind of my main thing with these episodes is that they touch on these things from Blake 7 mm-hmm. in a minor, to a minor extent. Mm-hmm. And, like, don't do any, like... To, they don't even go to the extent that the original episodes did. I get that it's only two hours instead of the, like, what, 13-ish hours of a season of Blake 7? Right. Or, like, 12 to really develop these concepts. But, like, it's so... It's... it's it's What we get is very little. And they, they decide to touch on all of them, like, uh, reliability and, like, this relationship between humans and computers and stuff like that instead of maybe just focusing on one or two and giving them more time. Right. But whatever. I mean, the big theme that it's hitting on this is the iconography of Blake and the Liberator. Yeah, yeah, it does doing that a bit more. It's, it, it, I guess this is just kind of a throwback line to like, hey, well, remember what this show was kind of about? Like this relationship between humans and computers? Remember? <laughs> remember? <laughs> You're doing the member berries bit from South Park now? <laughs> no. No. I wasn't. I don't even know what that is. Oh. I mean, I know what South Park is, but I don't know what you're referring to. Most recent season. They oh, well, that's why I don't know. Second most recent season, actually. I think I haven't watched that they show They had in an years. episode. I haven't seen it, but I know the gist of it was that they had these uh, berries and they're just like, remember when we did blank? Remember when we did blank? It was just, it was like a satire on like, you know, when shows or, or movies or books or whatever, like, hey, remember this cool thing we did before? We're doing it again, like Star Wars does. Or, like, you know, Jurassic World was basically just Jurassic Park reskins. So I was like, hey, remember when we did Jurassic Park? We're doing it again. I so. thought it was going to, it was going to, you were going to explain it as like a, a jab at like, shows like Family Guy or American Dad with like, mo- like 90% of the content of the episode is just cutbacks. Like, remember when that blank happened and like they cut back to Maybe. something completely unrelated? Again, I haven't seen it, so. Yeah. But I'm inclined to think that it's the thing that you described. Why, just given South Park's nature? Yeah. I haven't watched any South Park except for the episode about Scientology, which had an entire disclaimer at the bottom of the screen that was like, this is actually Scientology, not something we made up for this show. <clears throat> is that the one with the spaghetti monster? 
No, I don't think so. No, there was like I've, an I've actual episode. Bit of South Park. There was an actual episode where, like, I, I think it was Cartman like joins Scientology and then he like tries to explain the beliefs to the other kids and they're like, "What the hell, dude?" And there's a disclaimer that's like, "This is actually what Scientologists believe and not something we just made up for this show." Pretty sure that was South Park. Anyway. Avalon attacks the HQ, where it just so happens Avon, Callie, and Villa are because they get captured by the Federation on Logan 4. Right. There's this, there's this entire scene where they think they're going to get killed by the Federation, but they're actually just there to capture them. Yeah, and there's Surprise. this scene paralleling the one in the first episode part where Jenna and Travis are trapped together, where Avon and Servalan are together. Right, because Servalan brings them all into her office, but eventually she shoes away that pesca, pesky god villa and pesky Callie. villa and cali turns out villa keeps a sonic probe in his boot now because <laughs> he uses it to break out of their cell yeah there's a funny line in the first episode actually when villa locks the door that they're in with the matter scoop and he's like well unlocking doors is is something i'm used to but locking doors now that's another matter right <laughs> which i thought was funny so servlan makes a proposition she says, join me, Avon, and we can rule the galaxy as... Side by side as as husband and wife? No, just co-workers. Yeah, just co-workers. Just casual we co-workers. Just, just rule the galaxy, like, together, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Avon's like, well, no th- thanks, but no thanks. Because uh, the Liberator attacks at that moment. And then Avalon, they deplete the first and fourth power banks. I don't know why power banks one and four deplete first instead of, like, the logical one and two. But anyway... Go ask the system. Oh, wait. They're dead. <laughs> and then she's like, fire everything we have at all the interceptors. And Tra- uh, Travers. Tarrant is like, that. you'd have to be insane to do that. It'll drain all of our power. And she's like, just do it. And Tarrant tells Zen not to, but Zen's like, sorry, I already did it. <laughs> and Orak's like, why would you do that? Orak shows a remarkable amount of self-preservation in this. He's like, you got to get me out of here, Tarrant. You got to save me. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's this thing in part one, they give Avalon the licenses or what would you call them permissions like within zen to like command zen yeah and that's how they touch on this again like years later she still has these permissions and that's how she does this avon has a humorous line he's like we really got to get better at housekeeping (laughs) (laughs) yeah wasn't what was the episode where they like gave servalan capacity to control zen or wait did they or was it no they did because then that comes back in the final episode where she just goes up and she's like all right zen get me out of here and zen's like sorry i'm dead doesn't respond. <laughs> Freaking space goo. <laughs> Maybe it was Aquatar. Maybe. I mean, I'm guessing Aquatar is like a, a metal or something, but... Yeah. Maybe it was Al- like processed. Like, unprocessed Aquatar like kills you, but then there's it can be made... Oh, it's into a like gas, a, right? It's a gas. It can be made into a into a alloy of some form. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a gas because it's like it's seeping into the... Yeah, chamber. but when they when they turn into sludge, it turns yeah. into like an aquatar alloy. I think the alloy is called aquatane, actually. Yeah, maybe the maybe the um, the goo that the liberator succumbed to was like the failed experiments, <laughs> the results of the failed experiments. You know, turns out Travis had the way to destroy the liberator all along. <laughs> they couldn't even w- defeat Travis in death. Superman pulls a gun some on dedication, Avon. Yeah, like, I'm gonna kill you. Avon's like, mm, don't think you are, actually. She's like, look, you need me to get out of here, and I need you to get out of here, so let's get out of here. So he's like, all right, let's go. And I don't Dana even remember Ta- how this is resolved. So what happens is, it's a bit confusing, actually. Dana and Tarrant beam down. They get just enough power 
the drive system's repairing itself while interceptors are on their way and Dana and Tarrant beam down and they save Villa and Callie who look out the window and they're like, are my eyes deceiving me? It's the Liberator. <laughs> and and then Dana's like, Serverland's here. I'm going after Serverland. And Avon's like, you fool. So Avon chases after Dana, chasing after Serverland. <laughs> and eventually the power systems are restored and they eventually Serverland escapes. Uh, so Dana and Avon beam up and Dana's like, she was right there. I could have shot her because she's about to shoot Servland, but then there's like an explosion and there's kind of, I'm not sure what happens, but something separates the two and Avon runs up. He's like, Dana, no. She's about to like run into this explosion that's separating the two and, and Servland gets away. So. That's the one thing about these audios that are in between stories is like, you know that nothing's going to happen to Servland. They just killed Servland and made a clone and then revealed it like... <laughs> <laughs> So the 40th show the anniversary. <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> 40th anniversary just retcons the entire mythology of the show. They're all clones. They reveal that they're all clones. No, they reveal at the very end that Avon's it just was like, like all yeah. VR. <laughs> Avon reveals that the entirety of Blake Seven was just him telling Magda stories as a ki- as she's like a kid, and he's like, "Yep, I just made all that up. I'm just an old man living on a mountain, and that's what my life would have been if I had escaped from no. that prison ship." He's on Cygnus Alpha. He's like, "My life had escaped. If I had escaped, that's what my life would have been." <laughs> Brian Bassett comes in and he's like, Avon, it's time for your medication. <laughs> oh, God. Should have done it. Would have been all worth it. So this whole thing, I was thinking Su Lin was going to be Magda's mom and a- but Avon was going to be Magda's dad. I thought that was like kind of the implication here, but no, I didn't No, I didn't see that that second part was true in any way, but he yeah, throws the book in the fire and then we get this voiceover from Blake where Avon's like, ah, oh, Blake, you crafty little bastard. You still haunt me even in death. <laughs> Just to drive home the point um, that Blake's what, dead. What does Blake say? He, he says like, I was so out of himself being, He touches on himself being this, because this is one of the most interesting parts of the episode, and I can't believe I forgot exactly what he says. He touches on him, like, being a symbol. God, I, I yeah, I can't remember. I was watching this, I, like, listening to this. I thought like, three for, in the morning, at first so. that this was audio from Blake 7. No, no, it wasn't. It's, it started to kind of sound like it was, but then as it got further on, I was like, is that Colin Baker? Because it sounded a lot like Colin Baker. No, no, it, it wasn't. I don't know where these vocals are from, who did these. Wasn't it? Because if you listen on after this, they have credits. And don't they say who played Blake? No, they didn't. Because I was listening specifically to him, and, and they didn't say. And they just said other parts played by the voice cast. Huh. That's interesting. I mean, they never actually say that it was Blake. It's someone talking as Blake. Yeah. Could just be Avon's hallucinogenic <laughs> mind. <laughs> Gosh, but he says some real interesting stuff, and I can't believe I'm forgetting what he says. Yeah, Avon has a lot of interesting lines in the second episode, too. He says something like, shoot, what does he, what does he <laughs> say? He says something is, something is just a narcissist with power. Yeah, I, I remember that, but I don't remember it fully. And he's, he's saying it in reference to Avalon. Yeah. Because Avalon wants to use the Liberator as like an icon. 
for this yeah. revolution rebellion. It's like a terror, narcissistic terrorist is just uh, something like that. I don't know. I don't remember <clears> what it was. Clearly, we didn't listen to this episode to the best. Well, capacity I should have taken have. notes. Was the <laughs> thing. Uh, if I had taken notes, I would have remembered this line because I would have written it down. Well, that's the lesson that we failed to learn in the last literal, literally five years: is that we should have taken notes. And I don't see that us learning from that lesson anytime soon. <laughs> I take notes for Trust Your Doctor. And it's because we kind of forced ourselves to do so after four and a half years. I, take, I took notes for all the yeah, other Zenith stuff yeah, except for this. <laughs> Probably because I was doing it while I was walking my dog. And I was just like, I don't want to have to take notes at the same time as well. My mistake. Anyway, this this whole thing, you know... I think it works as a 40th anniversary celebration. Yeah, I guess it does, despite how much I've railed into it. It's kind of meta in using Blake as this icon. You well, know, Blake 7 was always kind of meta in yeah. in, in any case. So. And using the Liberator as... You know, using and, the Liberator as And putting as Blake front and center on the cover on art. The cover. Yeah, the cover art's pretty cool. I want to talk about that for a second, but I think it's really well done. And that day they brought in the Orac prop, they also brought in original Liberator guns, which is how they were able to get shots of Yasmin Bannerman at, in the in the Dana outfit with the Liberator gun Nice for the cover. Presumably, Gisette Simon, well, either, I don't want to make any presumptions, but the two, two options here as to why Yasmin Bannerman's on the cover and not Gisette Simon is because either one... They thought it would be more true to the story since, well, Yasmin Bannerman's playing Dana in the story, or two, Gisette Simon didn't give them the rights to use her likeness, uh, both of which are equally valid, and I, I don't know which is the case here. So, Yeah, I didn't even notice that it, was, that it wasn't that it was um, Gisette Simon. Mm-hmm. I guess I just, I, looked, I don't know. It looked kind of like... They do look pretty similar huh. in, in the cover art anyway. But it's not just that yeah. Simon. Oh, that's, I wasn't paying attention, I guess. At least, plus as, when you play the, I mean, when you download this from Big Finish, they give you a, like a really high res version of the cover. But when you play like the actual audio, the the picture on it is not like the best picture. Yeah, because here's a fun fact about files: when you st- <laughs> when you store a picture as part of an audio file in the metadata, it stores the entire picture. So the bigger the picture is, the bigger the audio file will yeah. actually end up being yeah. so fun facts there and i haven't i didn't check out the pdf but depending on how big it is i'll probably use it as the social media banner cut out cut out a piece of it if it's big enough so that we don't have to continuously which we've already stopped you've already stopped uh make banners but i'll see how i can or how, how well that works and uh, yeah, I think it worked as a 40th anniversary special. It was, I mean, it's more Blake 7 content. Like, Yeah, more Blake 7. <laughs> and there's a lot of audios if you really want more content, yeah. right? Even more content. <laughs> but we're not doing any of those. This is the not. last episode of Zenith that actually is going to touch on Blake 7 um, uh, a sto- a story, yeah. like a, an actual story. Yeah, next week we'll be looking back at the series as a whole. Yeah, maybe looking probably Looking back doing, on our podcast and going doing, over everybody's... Right. Probably, probably throw in a couple, like, maybe top five lists or, like, yeah. ranking-type things in there. Not too many, but a few. Going over everyone's fantasy Blake 7 stuff. Going over our Going fantasy. Going over ours. Mine and is obviously the best. 
Just kidding. It's probably the worst, if we're going to be honest here. I'm, I don't know. I was considering just doing a joke one for like a while, like an actual, like, yeah, Yvonne just combs his hair a different way in Series D. Like we joked about a few weeks ago, but whatever. Are we going to reveal each other's to each other before the episode, what? or are we going to do that? No, no, I'm not. Okay. You can do whatever you want. Okay. <laughs> I'll keep the rest of mine secret till we get there. And, you know, if you want to send in your Fantasy Blake 7, make sure you get it in as soon as possible in the next five days, preferably, when we can record it to put it in. By the time this goes out, we'll have actually recorded that episode already. But anything we can always we, splice yeah, things in. Anything we receive between the airing of this and the next week when we record, we can splice in. So you got about five days to get it in but don't to be, us. Uh, but don't leave it that late. Like, preferably, <laughs> preferably by the time you listen to this, you've already sent it in. <laughs> All right, so in the... In the week since we recorded the Wayback episode, we received a, a substantial amount of email. Sorry, the way ahead. We've received a substantial amount of emails and comments, uh, I guess because everybody finally listened to our episode <laughs> on Blake, which went out two days after we recorded, and, and a whole bunch of people emailed in, I guess, about the end of the podcast and about Blake, and we also have one about Warlord. Uh, we're just going to, as usual, we're going to go through the emails first, because there's just... Just one email, two emails, I think, actually, which we're going to go through. The first of which is from Maurice, getting an email here at the end of the episode, <laughs> the end of the podcast. <laughs> the subject line, Zenith, penultimate and ultimate episodes. Hey, fellas, thanks again for having me on. Busy around the holidays, but got a chance to listen to the episode on Warlord and Blake. The Warlord commentary is fun. My main comment here is about Serverland Small Part. I always felt like Gold ought to have been her final appearance in Series D because... She's now rich as well as powerful, and that final smile as she rides off with her booty is the perfect closing image for her. As to Blake, the, quote, poor communication kills, unquote, trope makes Blake look foolish at the end. Better dialogue would have had him and Avon both being fortright, yet still misunderstanding each other. It would have been less convenient and more tragic that way. As regards your mention of marriage, cutting to certain characters as Avon says thieves, killers, etc., this is where it's easy to credit the director for something that might have actually been specified in the script or created editor editorially, sorry, in post. This ambiguity is why I'm always cautious about specific attribution sans a source. We'll miss the podcast, Maurice. Uh, that's a yeah, fair yeah. point. I, uh, I totally agree about Servaland. You know, she wins so so Handily. overwhelmingly yeah. in gold that it could have been a, a nice final thing for her. <laughs> she could have just ridden off into the sunset <laughs> and never be heard from again. <laughs> uh, I agree with your point about Crediting Mary Ridge, I suppose, without the shooting script and without someone on the show coming out and being like, yeah, that was all Mary Ridge. I guess we won't actually know for certain uh, who did it. Yeah, and I mean, I've said this before and I'll say it again. You know, when it comes to TV shows, it's so hard to just say that one. I mean, there's so many people go into the making of like a TV right. show. Like, for example, like if you say, you know, Rose Tyler, I'll use Doctor Who as an example because Rose Tyler is a total Russell T self-insert. <laughs> but like you say Rose Tyler created by Russell T, you know, I mean... Russell T for sure contributed to the creation of that character, but so many other people went into it. Mm -hmm. Billy Piper, individual writers, Julie Gardner, cut, right? Producer. Costume designers, uh, casting department, stuff like that, makeup directors. departments. Yeah, directors. I was trying to think of a director from that era of Doctor Who to mention. <laughs> somehow I've forgotten all of them. But yeah, that's a good point, Maurice, and thank you for for bringing it up and getting in an email here at the end of the show. And then we have uh, another a short email from Jürgen. 
Uh, was wondering where the name Glitters comes from. Well, now I know. And it's a link to a website with a smiley face emoji, pure and hollow, another smiley face Unicode character. <laughs> <laughs> so apt for one of my favorite staffers to be, quote, pure, unquote, and, quote, holy, unquote. I, of course, include Dylan as a favorite, even though we've never met Winky Face. By the way, I've had a chat with a Blake 7 actor who played Sulin and a Mutoid twice after a play in Sonning near Reading and one in Richmond, southwest London. Lovely lady, Charlize reminds me of Glynis, by the way, especially in the movie Atomic Blonde. Happy New Year, guys. Let me know if you get my story. We did get your story. We're about to record <laughs> an episode about that in a few minutes here. And uh, yeah, looking forward to it. And thank you for the information on where the name Glynis comes from. So, yeah, thank you. And yeah, I mean, we're going uh, we're gonna to have more stuff of yours to respond to in a second here. Right. So and we'll probably get more in about that. So so those are the two emails we had this week. And then we've got uh, an a- actually quite a substantial number of comments on the website to get through. So we're going to go through those now, starting with... Jürgen's got a comment on our episode about Warlord. Glad you like Warlord so much. I do as well. There are definitely some interesting concepts. The reset button hasn't been pressed with regards to Villa and Avon. Terrence has fallen to another lady, although this woman is actually very likable, if a bit silly. She even sacrifices herself. I would just like to defend Terrence. As much as he can be arrogant, he's right about Villa not helping out here. Yes, he's just been through orbit, but they need to focus if they want to survive. Drinking too much doesn't solve anything. It only seems like it does. Tarrant at least works out the virus is traveling through the air, and he's pretty. The action sequences are awesome. I love Victor Vitalis' direction. Sulin and Avon make a great team again, the same as in gold. Sulin's quick thinking saves in this time, too. Well, an assassin, she did need to med- meditate longer for plot reasons. And I always enjoy the character standing up against unlimited Avon. But you lie so well. And Mark's woman gets the opportunity to up her death count. We are almost at the end of the series, after all. By the way, what do you guys think of Sulin's penultimate hairstyle? The costumes they wear on the surface are nice. Serverland looks so classy in their dress. Heart emoji, and then next comment. My emojis didn't come out apart from the heart at the end. Oh, well. Yeah, so thank you for that. Actually, that's an interesting note that you bring up the death count. When we started this podcast, we initially planned to do a... Or on Trust Your Doctor, we have a death count where we track... Yeah, it's it's well, a bit out of date because I've been a bit slow updating the website, <laughs> to be fair, but we track... Uh, who dies in every episode and, and it's if probably any incorrect the, at this point but yeah, hey whatever. but hey the mo- it's the most correct death count we can say that because it's I'm pretty sure it's the only death count I've ever seen which no, makes was, us the most correct there was that one guy who, who like did a Damn far it. more in-depth tracking of Doctor Who deaths and he did like averages and like statistics <sighs> about who dies and when and stuff like, well, like when they is die that how Barbara far killed those five <laughs> morphos <laughs> Anyway, All that matters is that Barbara is still a cold-hearted serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> the point is we were going to do one for Blake 7 where we tracked. Well, that idea lasted like five seconds. That and then we idea lasted that. one episode when we realized the death count was going to be in the hundreds <laughs> by the end of the first season. So. <laughs> so, but yeah, interesting that you bring up uh, Sulin. Yeah, I only bring that up because you mentioned Sulin upping your death count and yeah, that just reminds me of that. Because we have a character that. kill count in Doctor Who as well, where we track yeah. which doctors and characters killed. Right. How many? Who's got the most blood on their hands? There's some pretty big surprises on that list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should go check it out if you're curious. I'm gonna try update it. I'm gonna try update it. I'm not gonna put a deadline on that. I'm gonna say I'm trying. I'm gonna try update it. Decorative vegetable website updates coming in 2019. Right, soon. <laughs> T 
TM. <laughs> Valve time. It's going to come out when Half-Life 3 comes out. <laughs> All right. Our next comment is from, I think, a new correspondent, John O'Reed. Just a short commentary on our Blake episode. Paul Davin met his wife on this episode. Unfortunately, she passed away about five years ago. I didn't actually know that she had passed away uh, recently. Yeah, me neither. Uh, that's a bummer. Paul Davin has been through some hard times recently. Yeah. His wife died. Lost lose his Lose your leg. legs. Lose your wife. <laughs> All right, now we have two more comments from Jürgen on our Blake episode. <clears throat> uh, this one's quite a bit longer. Hey, guys, Tarrant is a hero. Bless him. Don't forget the teleport is not working 100% while they're crashing. It would have been too risky. I think the goodbye Tarrant moment is really moving. Glenn yeah, right. said in an interview she felt like they were doomed once she joined because Su Lin was from the planet where they all died. <laughs> the gunslinger really didn't want to go back there and doesn't seem to be completely herself. I also like Slave's demise. Suppose I'm not that cold. Smiley face. He does address the woman as Madame. The talent, Janet Lee's Price. R.I.P. Only wanted to be honored if her husband shot her. She wasn't a science fiction fan, by the way. Smiley face. I agree Dana was the most innocent, and that's probably why she was gunned down first. She was being reckless again. Tarrant, the sweetheart, sort of cradles Dana's body. He did care about her. Sulin was also upset about her friend's death, and that, apart from being on GP, got her shot after just killing one guard. Villa is obviously angry about Arlen killing Dana. I didn't mind him saying sorry. He was just being a British gentleman. He did hit a woman after all, and as opposed to Avon, didn't appear to consider it normal, smiley face. Thank you for covering the 52 episodes of my favorite series. Your podcasts have truly been awesome. And then the second comment here, Retarrant, just to be clear, I meant it would have been too risky for Tarrant to dematerialize as well with the teleport malfunctioning. I never thanked you for inspiring me to write again. Hope you enjoy my feminist Blake 7 Doctor Who crossover horror fantasy story. <laughs> By the way, here in Germany near Cologne where I'm vacationing with my Saffa boyfriend, I found another reference to Mary Shelley. Smiley face. Thanks for all your literary recommendations and recommendations on other shows, guys. Have you ever watched Dempsey and Makepeace on YouTube? The interplay between Classy Glynis and her future brash American husband is intriguing. Happy New Year. Hope 2019 will bring you more excitement and science fiction fun. Smiley face. Yeah, I've heard of this show. Um, wow, I haven't. <laughs> and yeah, I knew Glynis Barber was on it, and uh, I haven't really considered watching it too heavily. I mean, when we inevitably start that <laughs> general kind of science fiction podcast might put it on there depending how science fiction fantasy it's it is not at all i believe well we're gonna do but science we'll fiction slash anyway. fantasy so <laughs> if mean, it's neither I of mean, those look, then. I mean, look, we're gonna, this is what's gonna happen we're gonna start the podcast with that in mind and then like with it with time that's with like, like a year within like a year we'll be like well it <laughs> doesn't matter anymore <laughs> uh, thank you for your kind comments about the podcast uh, I still think they should have tried slapping a teleport bracelet on Tarrant. I mean, everybody else went through the teleporter. Tarrant I mean, should man look, up and go through the teleporter. Comes to worst, too. Just jump out the window. <laughs> <laughs> Better to land without a massive steel contraption, <laughs> like shattering and sending shards of glass and steel through your body. Right. Better to Didn't land be just, like just forest alone. pizza. Yeah, no, well, just jump out the window because that way, like, when the the ship lands, it's going to be, like, shredded and send all this shrapnel flying through your body, yeah. right? So if you jump out the window, at least you have a chance of, like, landing in a tree and sure. and being all right. I don't know if that's legitimate, you know, that's... <laughs> and, uh, yeah, suppose you're not that cold for liking Slave's Demise. I still think it doesn't quite work, but, you know... I'm on board. I forgive Tarrant, forgive Slave for all his incompetence. 
Oh, we have a spam comment, which is sort of just read it. Why not? It's it's from (laughs) write my paper for me. (laughs) And then we have a comment also from another new contributor or correspondent. Getting a lot of people coming out of the woodwork here in the final (laughs) episode. Someone named Juniper. Hey, guys, thank you for covering Blake 7. I've greatly enjoyed listening to your podcast and revisiting the episodes with you. The last one really captures the spirit of Christmas, doesn't it? I could just wonder about how many young fans were left traumatized shortly before the holidays. I didn't watch most of Blake 7 until 25 years later and had managed to spoil it myself by that time, but the last scene was still very effective. It's a beautiful combination of camera work and sound, creating an extremely intense atmosphere. I liked that Villa got some moves in before he was shot. I took his sorry to be sarcastic rather than him genuinely feeling remorse for hitting a woman. Right. I agree with you that Servland in this episode would have felt overstuffed. Nevertheless, I'm a bit sad that we didn't get to see her one last time. She's always been one of my favorite science fiction characters, the perfect role model for an aspiring supervillainess. Not that I've ever lived up to that aspiration. <laughs> <laughs> Happy New Year. I hope you still managed to have fun with the Trust Your Doctor podcast. I'm curious what you'll have to say about Peter Capaldi and Jody. P.S. Please consider let. Please consider giving Lex a shot sometime in the future. That show is just completely bonkers. Well, you are not nope. the first person to recommend Lex. Nope. And it seems like Lex has is, is, is risen to the top of our recommendation well, Lex list. Lex in Space 1999, I think. And Star Cops. Even. And, yeah, uh, <laughs> and, um, and Sapphire and Steel. Right. Stay tuned <laughs> for news. Make sure to follow us on Twitter for that's the way the news is going to be announced. Probably. And Facebook. But uh, thank you for reaching out, uh, Juniper. I think Villa Sorry was, was kind of sarcastic as well, if I'm remembering the moment uh, correctly. I'm not sure why you're aspiring to be a super villainess. No, she is not. Presumably, you're a she. Or uh, he's not. It could be a he. But You know, they explicitly said that they're not. No, they, oh, no, they, no, they, they said that they didn't live up to that aspiration. Uh. So, huh. Interesting. Not sure why you're aspiring to be a super villainess, but you know, you do you. And I hope that you live up to your aspiration one day. And that's, I think, all the emails and comments we got in the past week. Uh, and thank you all for reaching out again. Yep. We love to hear from our fans and. We love responding to you guys, and be sure to be on the lookout next week for Fantasy Blake 7, <laughs> the conclusion to the epic saga. <laughs> but if you would like to send it in, you can reach us at thedoctordecadivegetable.com. Questions, comments, concerns, angry rants, love letters, your thoughts on Blake 7 as a whole as well. We'd love to hear that. You can find us on YouTube at Decadive Vegetable, and you can find us on Apple Podcasts and Google Play at Zenith of Blake 7 Podcast. It's on Facebook, trust your doctor, like us on Facebook, also check us out on Twitter at TYD Podcast, and follow us on Twitter. And like we mentioned, next time, well, we're just going to be wrapping up the podcast with a retrospective episode. But until then, the end. <laughs>